The Gospel of John, John chapter 1, we'll be taking our text from this morning. John chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 35 through 42 this morning, Lord willing. The message I've titled, Calling of the Disciples. John chapter 1, we'll read our text starting in verse 35. Here the Bible says, again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, Where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the reading of your word this morning. I'm praying now that you help us as we try to preach today. Lord, help us, give us strength, give us your spirit, Lord, and may your work do a mighty work in our hearts, and we'll give you the honor and praise and glory for it. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus, amen. The events in our text this morning follows up where we left off last time, uh, occurring the, the next day after that. So we've seen consecutive on the next days here we've had one day where all the uh, the Jews had sent out uh, the uh, the council to come and question John and it said the next day and they were still there and now here's another day so three days this council has been there listening and waiting to hear from John and then uh, suddenly again the next day John stood and two of his disciples um, we know that John the Baptist had disciples of his own In fact, he had disciples before the Lord Jesus had disciples. Uh, Of course, John's ministry, as we mentioned last week, started probably six months before Jesus' earthly ministry. Uh, We don't know a a lot about either of them from, you know, beyond John's birth until he's called into the ministry, and then Jesus, after 12 years old, until he's called into the earthly ministry. Uh, Not a lot is said, well, actually nothing is said about either one of them in between those two times. And so it appears that both of them started, uh, John, probably six months before Jesus started his ministry. And John has already gained a large gathering of people, but he's gathered disciples together. Uh, disciples, those that follow Jesus around. That, that word disciple actually means a pupil, a student, a learner is what, what that word means. And so anyone that follows someone to learn from them is considered a disciple. Now, we should be considered disciples. If we're saved today, then we say that we want to follow Jesus. And if we're going to follow Jesus and, and abide by his teaching and learn from him, learn from his word, then that means that we're his disciples as well. Now, we're not apostles. The early disciples, the, the original 12, they were considered apostles. Uh, they had been with Jesus in the flesh and had visibly been there with him and witnessed uh, everything. And then uh, after his death, burial, and resurrection, they were there. And so they were considered apostles. They'd been appointed uh, to go. And that's that's what uh, an apostle is, one who's been appointed to go. And uh, But here, 
these are disciples we're talking about. And if I've counted correctly, there's 12 different Bible um, verses in our King James Bible that that uh, mentions the disciples of John. Uh, however, the only disciple that is given we are given a proper name for is the one that we find in our opening text here down in verse 40, and that's Andrew. There's not another disciple that it clearly states, you know, this was a disciple of John. Or here it doesn't call him a disciple. It says one who, um, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him. So that in, is the, the definition of a disciple of John. So we can say Andrew positively was a disciple of John the Baptist. But no other person by their name is given except perhaps, I believe, Apollos. Uh, over in the book of Acts, uh, we see that there's one named Apollos, Acts chapter 18. And uh, I believe this is good evidence that he too was a disciple of John the Baptist, Acts 18, 24 through 25. The Bible says, And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. So it appears that Apollos was one that was baptized by John the Baptist, most likely followed him and learned from him. Here he's, he's teaching the things of the Lord, and it says knowing only the baptism of John. So he doesn't know anything past that point. And of course we know Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and taught him uh, things that he needed to know, and he began to, and, uh, and and preached and did a great job. But I believe this is why Apollos is also definitely a disciple of John the Baptist. Uh, we know there's many others, but by their name, we're not we're not given that. I believe the gospel writer that wrote that the human penman of the Gospel of John was a disciple of John the Baptist. I believe he's the other one that's mentioned in our opening text. It says that. There are two of his disciples. I believe that John is is referring to Andrew and himself as being these disciples. Because John did like that. When John writes, he doesn't refer to himself in a in first person. He he alludes to that apostle or that one or there was one or something. You know, he doesn't come out and say, I. He didn't say me and Andrew were hanging out with John Babs, we were his disciples. But I believe that John, the gospel writer, was um, a disciple of John the Baptist. Now, interestingly enough, uh, there are there is a religious group today that is still considered disciples of John the Baptist. Uh, kind of strange, really. Th this religion is called Manda uh, Mandaeanism. If I said that right, I don't know. But uh, the religion actually means having knowledge. And so... It's a Gnostic religion who believes that through their knowledge of divine things that they they have soul salvation through what they they've learned. Uh, they have that great knowledge. That's that's the classic uh, Gnosticism, and so those who practice it are called Man Mandaeans, and uh, they're based in Iraq and Iran, mostly in Iraq. Uh, in Iraq, there where the uh, the Tigris River runs through there. That's where they worship on the side of the Tigris and have for hundreds of years. Uh, and so they, uh, they, um, they reject Jesus Christ as a Messiah and say he was a false Messiah. 
But yet they, they hold John the Baptist up as the last great prophet. And they, they worship and uh, celebrate and baptize themselves in the Tigris River after the, the way of John the Baptist, how he baptized. And so they, uh, uh, that, that river is in Baghdad, uh, close to where Babylon used to be. And this is, this is where this religion um, practices. And what they say is when they baptize, they get baptized, they, they do it three times in a row. And they say that washes away and relieves their, their uh, worries of life and relieve, relieve any sin they've committed. And so uh, it's strange that they reject Jesus, but yet they accept John the Baptist and still follow him. Uh, there's pictures online, if you Google that, Mandaeans, they, uh, they show them down there getting baptized. They wear complete white from head to toe. The women and men both uh, cover their heads with, with uh, white things and white gowns, and they go out there and they practice this baptism and follow after John the Baptist. So uh, interesting things there about that, but... Back in our text there in verse 36, it says, And looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, this is not the first time that John has is, is claimed this, uh, proclaimed it, exclaimed it. Uh, when Jesus comes, he calls him out. He says, Behold the Lamb of God. Uh, Jesus, as we mentioned last time, fulfilled all the prophetic scriptures that was needed of the 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 coming Messiah that's been promised. He was the sacrificial lamb that was unspotted, unblemished, and sinless. He was a sacrificial lamb that was gentle and able to be led uh, as a lamb to slaughter, to be sacrificed. And he was a sacrificial lamb that was sufficient to offer up uh, salvation and the cleansing of the sin for the whole world. So Jesus fulfilled all of those um, necessary things to be considered to be the Lord's Messiah, the Jews' Messiah. Verse 37, and the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, of course, this is the whole purpose of John the Baptist's ministry, is to proclaim that Jesus is here, the Messiah has come, he's prepared the way, he prepared the people, they, they repented of their sins, he, he baptized them, and cleared the way for all this to take place, and that's exactly how it happened, it fell right into place. Uh, when the Messiah came, these two disciples, they turned and immediately started following him. Now, obviously, they understood and believed that this is the Messiah. There was some there when John said this, probably said, no, nah, I don't think so. Now, we've had other people come that's claimed to be the Messiah, and they turned out to be false. So, I, I don't know. Now, these two men, these two disciples of John, they completely understood it and believed it. That's why they followed him. Otherwise, they wouldn't have. And not all John's disciples followed him. Followed him. We know these two did, but he had a lot of disciples. Why wasn't they a bunch of them trailing after Jesus as he walked by? Uh, some were jealous of Jesus' ministry and the crowd he was starting to, to draw. Uh, it was taking people away from John and uh, going to Jesus, and so they become to beget to get kind of envious of Jesus' ministry. And so they questioned John in uh, John chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. It says, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, 
to whom thou bearest witness. Behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. And then, of course, we know that uh, John tells them, well, that's what, what's supposed to happen. Uh, that, that's, that's exactly what they need to do. I've got to decrease. He must increase. And so you need to follow after him. So they seem to be a little envious of what was going on here. Otherwise, they would have been with Jesus, too, if they had fully understood like these two disciples we're talking about today. And, but these two disciples, they willingly followed Jesus. Look at verse 38. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? Now, notice that Jesus didn't ask them, Whom seek ye? You know, a lot of times that question comes up in the Bible. Whom seek ye? And he knows who they're seeking. But he asked them the question, what seek ye? He knows what they're seeking, but he's going to ask them this anyway. Uh, they know who he is. He knows that. They refer to him as rabbi, and the gospel writer John here provides an interpretation. In fact, he did it three times in this passage of scripture alone. He interprets the words that he, he tells us, he wrote down. He says, by interpretation, which interpreted means, and uh, being interpreted. Uh, here he interprets that word rabbi. And, and it means master. Uh, this is uh, how the Jews, out of respect, referred to great teachers of their time. It was an honorary title, such as doctor today. Uh, if a person goes and gets a doctorate degree, uh, he has the right to be called a doctor. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I've got a doctorate degree, but I really don't want to be called doctor. That's why I like to call myself Brother Byron. Uh in fact, Jesus instructed his disciples not to allow people to call him rabbi. Uh, in Matthew 23 and 8, he said, But be not ye called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. And so it doesn't matter how smart you are, even the Apostle Paul, uh, he's a brother. Uh, that's why I like to be called Brother Byron, not Dr. Chesney. Now, if I carried around a little black bag full of medicine, I might call myself a doctor. <laughs> anyway, these two disciples asked Jesus, where dwellest thou? Now, this was not some random question because Jesus caught them off guard and, you know, they just all of a sudden had to come up with something to say. If you if you read it wrong, that you might get that impression. Jesus says, what seek you? Uh, uh, where are you staying at? <laughs> no, it's not like that. This was... This was showing Jesus they wanted to come and be taught by him. They didn't want to interrupt his his journey while he's going from one place to the other. Didn't want to disrupt his ministry. I mean, he's busy. He's doing a lot of stuff. And so they asked him, well, where are you dwelling? And we'll come there so that we can be taught by you when you're not out here on the road. Uh, that's the, the thought behind this. And so they didn't want to hinder his traveling and answer, asking him a bunch of questions while he's walking, you know, that'd be kind of aggravating. Uh, a lot of people, you know, today, they want the Cliff Notes version of Jesus. You know, uh, they, they don't want to put any time and effort into it. Uh, they would like to get a little book that, that tells exactly everything uh, and have a cheat sheet so they could learn this. Well, we do have a book to know all about Jesus. It's right here. It's called the King James Bible. But it takes you studying it reading it, meditating upon it, praying over it, 
Asking the Lord to reveal things to you. That's how you get to know Jesus. You don't need a cliff note version of, of Jesus. You need to know him through and through. Um, you know, these disciples didn't want some drive-by lesson. A lot of people want that. They want to just have a drive-through, you know. Uh, these men wanted to sit down and get fed by the master. Um, verse 39, he saith unto them, come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Now, I notice one thing when I'm reading the Bible, especially the words of Jesus. He constantly gives invitations to come. Come ye, come and see. In fact, I wrote them down so that uh, you could mark them if you, if you want to, if you're keeping your notes. Uh, but Jesus has given invitation, such as in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. And this is probably one of the most uh, thought of verses in the Bible when it's, it comes to an invitation. Matthew 11 and 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see that first words, he says, come unto me. Again in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 34. Matthew 25 and 34. It says, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You see that? Come, ye blessed of my Father. Those are the ones that belong to God. That's us. That's saved people. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34, the Bible says, And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. True followers of Christ are going to come to him and follow him. Over back in uh, John, John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38, the Bible says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that Believeth on me, as the scripture said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Again, another invitation from Jesus, come unto me. Not only come unto me, but drink. Drink of the fountain of life. These, uh, the, 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 uh, it says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Uh, that's all the Lord wants from us, is to come to him come to him. His invitation is always, by the way, if you notice, is now. When the disciples, or when he asked the disciples uh, what it was that they were uh, doing or looking for or wanting, and and uh, they they told him, you know, where do you abide? And he says, come. He didn't say, well, I'll tell you what, uh, tomorrow I'll have some free time, or next week I'll put you on my schedule, or I'll put you in let me get my, my phone and I'll put in the calendar date for a few weeks from now. And no, he's always, it's always immediately. Jesus has come. And that's his invitation for all people. Come unto me. Uh, not 
tomorrow, not next week, not next month or next year, but right now. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Tomorrow's not the day of salvation. It may be for some people, but uh, when it comes to Christ, now, today, immediately. So now, now back to our text, back in John chapter 1, verse 39, the last part of that verse, it goes on to say, they came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. These two disciples of John, they submitted to Jesus and his invitation, and they came and saw where he dwelt. And the Bible says there they abode with him. In other words, they stayed there with him wherever it was at. Uh, Jesus didn't own a house. He's most likely staying with someone, a friend, or someone who's allowed him to uh, stay there when he's in town. And he invites them to come, and they come, and they stay there as well. And the Bible says it was about the 10th hour. In Jewish time, that's around 4 o'clock p.m. Uh, That's what time the 10th hour would be. Verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Andrew didn't waste any time uh, to share the good news of the Messiah. He knew it was true. Without a shadow of doubt, he understood Jesus was Messiah. And the first thing he wanted to do was go find his brother and tell him about it so that he could know Jesus. Uh, There's no doubt about Andrew understood exactly who Jesus was. He didn't go to Simon Peter and say, hey, brother, we may have found the Messiah. (laughs) It's possible that this guy that John baptized a little while back and came through, it's possible he might be the Messiah we've been waiting on. No, he didn't. He said, we found him. We found, what does it say? We have found the Messiah. And then the gospel writer John interprets there. He says, which is being interpreted, the Christ. Interpreted the Christ. And, of course, uh, uh, it's it's uh, the Greek rendering of the, of the word there. Uh, as you notice, it's not spelled with an H. It's got the I-A-S on the end of it. So it's rendered from the Greek spelling. Uh, and it comes from the word Messiah, which means the anointed one, one who comes to anoint. And as the Jews understood, that is the Christ, the Christ. Uh, And that is Jesus' title. It's not his given name, his proper name. It's his title uh, of Christ. He is the anointed one, the one who's come to anoint. And what gives him the right to do that? Well, God's made him prophet, priest, and king. And all those were anointed for their positions. Jesus has been anointed to be the Christ, and he's the one to anoint. So he is the Messiah. Now, Andrew's actions, where he goes and finds his brother to tell him the good news, that should be the actions of every single Christian. When you get saved, your your heart's desire ought to be to tell somebody, hey, guess what happened to me? You never believe it. And I know just about everybody I've ever known, That's that's their desire. They get saved, and first they want to go call mama. I'm going to go call granny. I want to go call papa. I want to tell my friends. I want to do this and that. And it, it's sad that when as we get older, 
that desire doesn't seem to be there like it was when we were first saved. Or perhaps we get shy or backwards or we're, we're afraid we're going to offend somebody or we don't want to look stupid. And so we're not going to mention that, you know. We can talk about everything else in the world. Let's talk about the movies and the TV and songs and music and games and all this stuff. I've got no problem with that. But when it comes to Jesus, we somehow we want to shy away from it. Ought not to be that way. We ought not to be ashamed of, of the Lord and what he's done for us. But this should be our actions as a Christian, to go and tell somebody else the good news. Jesus is here. Verse 42, And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Again, gospel writer interprets what, what this means. Uh, Cephas, that, well, that means a stone is what that means. And so we see here the divine omniscience of Jesus. He's omnipotent. That means knowing all things. That the devil is not omnipotent. Only Jesus is that way. Jesus. And he knows all things. He knows everybody's heart. He knows exactly who Simon Peter is. He even knows his dad's name. He knows the very hairs on his head. He counted them. He counted yours. He knows how many hairs on your head. And I've lost several in the shower this morning. <laughs> you know, so, hey, uh, he knows all. He's omnipotent. Uh, he knew that there was something in Peter that was different. Uh, and he places a focus on Peter. He sees something in Peter that most men didn't see. And he saw his heart and he knew he was like a rock. Peter is a rock. He's a stone. He knew that. Now, Peter, we know, had his troubles. He wasn't a perfect man. He, he did a lot of dumb things. But aren't you glad today that, that the Lord doesn't care about that? He used Peter to mightily usher in the New Testament church. He didn't build the church on Peter. He built the church on himself. He's the rock. He's the foundation. But Peter, he gave him the keys of the kingdom of heaven. When he preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved, and the, the Holy Spirit was there and empowered the New Testament church. Peter was the one that was used. He was the instrument that he used. And Jesus knew that from the very beginning. As soon as he walked up, he said, well, there's the guy I'm going to use. There's the rock. There's the stone. Cephas. Uh, over in Matthew sixteen thirteen through 19, it says, When Jesus came under the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Well, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, well, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood is not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It's clear here that Peter fully understood who Jesus was. Everybody else is, is given all these other answers. You know, somebody, you know, some people think you're John the Baptist. Some people think you're Elias and, you know, Jeremiah, that, you know, those 
one of the prophets. And and Jesus, okay, I, I know people are saying things like that. But what do you, my disciples, what do you think? Who do you think I am? Peter says, well, you're the Christ. You're the son of God. So there was no question there. Peter was 100%, his heart was for Christ. Even the times he stumbled and messed up, his heart was still there for the Lord. And I think that should show us that Jesus knows all of our hearts. He knows every thought in our mind, and he can use any of us to fulfill his purpose, no matter what it is. It doesn't matter how bad you've been, what you've done, what you've messed up, or or whatever it is, God can still use you to fulfill his purpose. Man probably would never have put their trust in Simon Peter. They'd looked at him and said, that nasty, stinking fisherman, and he's dumber than a rock. He's uneducated. He's, he stinks. And, you know, I, I don't think I'd give let him do anything. But not the Lord. I'm glad Jesus doesn't qual- call the qualified he qualifies the called. And so don't let the Roman Catholic Church confuse you on who Peter is. They think that he is the rock of the church. They believe that Peter is the foundation of the church, but that's not so. Peter himself tells us who the foundation of the church is. Listen on Acts in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. This is important. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for is now eventide. All right, stop there for a second. What's going on? Well, the disciples, Peter and John, uh, they've been in there in the in the actual the temple where the Jews congregate together for worship and to be taught. And they're they're in the temple and they begin teaching about Jesus. Contrary to what the Jews are teaching over here. They're not teaching about Jesus. Sure, they may mention the Messiah that's been prophesied and the prophet Isaiah and Jeremiah and all that. They may mention that, but they have no inkling who Jesus is and they're not going to mention him. But here's John and, and Peter and the disciples and they're in there telling everybody, yeah, Jesus, you know, the one that was crucified on the cross, he is the Messiah. And a lot of people start believing that. And it made these religious crowds, the ones that took care of things in the temple, mad. It grieved them, the Bible says, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus, the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe in that. Look at verse 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. You see how it's multiplying? First it was 3,000 when Peter got up on the day of Pentecost and preached. Here it's 5,000, and it's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. And it's grieving these Jewish you know, doctors and uh, Pharisees and Sadducees and priests and all this stuff. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. Boy, they got all the big dogs in there. I mean, the biggest of the big. Verse 7, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have ye done this? So they're putting 
Peter and, and John and the ones that were teaching on trial. They've got the the big dogs in there and they're going to find out who gave you the authority to do this, you bunch of ignorant, uneducated fishermen. Verse 8, Then Peter, <laughs> filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone. Do you see this? This is the stone which was set at naught of ye builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So what had got them so riled up is when that, that impotent man, a man that couldn't walk uh, while he was begging for money, and of course Peter and John didn't have any money, and they said, well, we don't have any money, but we do have someone we can tell you about, the Lord Jesus. And we know what happened. The man got up, began walking, dancing, running, whatever he was doing, he was he was fine. Well, this got the attention uh, going on from all the, the big shots. And so when they come in there in the temple and they see them teaching people and all these people flocking after them and believing in it and all, it gets them so upset that they put them on this trial to find out what in the world is going on here. And I'm sure their intention at the time was to do away with them. That's that's always what they want to do, do away with anybody teaching or preaching about Jesus. And we know that's the case because the Bible tells us this, but they were fearing the people because they were believing. And, and if they suddenly did something to these men, then they're going to you know have to answer for it. So we know they eventually they let them go at this time. But here Peter himself said there in verse 11, this is the stone. He's referring to Jesus, not himself. He didn't say, this right here is a stone the builders reject. No, he didn't. He's like, this, this, what we're teaching, this man that we're lifting up, and he even goes on to tell him, uh, uh, or he says, the one that whom you crucified, this Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he's the one, the stone the builders rejected. So Jesus, without a doubt, is the foundation of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the foundation of the church. He is the chief cornerstone of the foundation. And, uh, of course, just like it says in verse 12, there, uh, neither is there salvation in any other. You can't be saved through these other men here, Caiaphas, the high priest, Annas, whoever is mentioned, Alexander. You can't be saved through them, but you can be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the way of salvation. Now, we're not going to read it this morning, but if you look back at Acts chapter 2, when Peter actually preached on that day of Pentecost, there were 3,000 souls saved. And that is the moment when the Lord, through the, the Holy Ghost, empowered the church. The church began with Jesus and his disciples. It was empowered at Pentecost. And it grows in, under this day. We're still serving, worshiping, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, this chief cornerstone, the one the, the builders rejected, the head of the corner. And so... These disciples that once were disciples of John the Baptist, they're now fully given over to being disciples of the Lord Jesus. They're going to follow him from here on out. 
And they're going to tell as many people as they possibly can. They're going to get their brothers. We know John, his brother James, they're both disciples. And of course, Peter, he comes and and uh, here after the Lord uh, addressed him and called him and said he's going to be called Cephas or a stone. Uh, Peter was one of the, the most staunch followers of Christ that there was. And so uh, I tell you, it's it's something. But we're going to stop right there. And uh, where did we leave off? We left off with uh, verse 42. So we'll pick up there next week, uh, Lord willing, in verse 43, and probably try to finish out the rest of this chapter as we see him call uh, other disciples, Philip, Nathaniel, um, going on. And then we'll talk about more later on. I do want to mention that uh, I am going to be at Northside Baptist preaching the first Sunday in February. So that's not too far away. What is it, about three weeks or so? Two weeks? Wow. But be at Northside Baptist Church um, downtown, um, preaching for them on, on that first Sunday in February. Is that the 4th or 5th? The 5th. All right, so everybody's invited to that. And uh, that's all. We always have a good time out at Northside. Uh, and uh, they've got some really great people out there. And always good spirit at Northside. So you come out and be with us. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much for the message today. I pray it's been helpful. Lord, thank you for giving us this information from your word. Lord, we we have no other way of knowing it without your word. God, we're so thankful for it. We're thankful for this church. Thankful for those that uh, are here and those that uh, watch our, our messages online. Lord, your, your messages. And Lord, we pray that uh, you just help us here at Porch Light to be the very best that we can be, Lord, to mold us and grow us uh, in your will. And we want to give you the praise for it. For it's these things we ask in the name of Jesus. And amen.